ladies and gentlemen, mademoiselle and monsieur, pardon my French, welcome, bienvenue, Pascal Gautier, everybody. Like, wow. Like this guy, this company, like we have a lot of amazing portfolio companies, but I am a gigantic fan of Ledger and welcome to the pod, Pascal. Hey, Rich. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the, uh, uh, for the French in the introduction. Trying, trying try my best. Uh, I, uh, lived in China for a long time and there is a very, very strong French mafia in the tech space there. Actually, it's really amazing how strong Paris is as a tech hub. I think a lot of people talk about Berlin, but uh, there's a really, uh, you know, all the way back from Minitel up until present time and the insanely competitive universities there and, you know, the chip and pin technology for banks. I'd love to dive into all that and why, you know, it's such a perfect fit for you guys to have spawned out of Paris. But before we do, I'd love to just hear the the update on, on Ledger, just like, you know, a quick intro and like what's hot and sexy and, you know, getting you excited at this present moment. Sure. Um, look at, at Ledger, uh, the latest announcements were uh, in December when we announced uh, Stacks and that's really uh, our new hardware product that's that's really what's what's hot and we're working really hard to ship the first units uh, in april and then others in may etc cetera, etc cetera. and the team is doing an extremely good job we it's it's a world first what we're doing with stacks yes it's a hardware wallet but it's the first time that you're going to have an e-ink curved screen uh and that's courtesy of tony fadel you know the, tony fadel we'll dive into that but that's it's like a hardware wallet that you want to cuddle with like it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like Apple and Ledger made a baby. You know, Tony came with with design and, uh, and you know greatness uh, because when it comes to hardware, consumer electronics, you know, it doesn't get much better than than Tony Fadell. Indeed. And um, and Ledger came with security, and so you have this uh, you know uncompromising uh, attitude on security, which which is Ledger, and then you have like sort of design usability. Uh, Tony kept on saying, like, you guys are business to geeks. We need to move to business to consumer. And so Stacks is an attempt to to make hardware wallets, like, you know, more consumer friendly uh, so more people can actually can actually use them. And so that e-ink curve screen is, um, is the thing of legend. Like, you know, it's the first time that a consumer electronic uh, product will have an e-ink curve screen. And, you know, typically Tony does things the way they do it at Apple, which is, you know, let's do it. Uh, it's almost like let's do it because it, it seems like it's impossible, but we're still going to do it. And so, this is a, this is a high technical challenge, uh, and this is why you know the product is not already out of the door. Not that we're late, but you know it, there is a certain complexity in building products that are very new like this. Uh, and so uh, this is uh, this is really what's new at Ledger, and this is what's what's coming up uh, very shortly. Yeah, I think Tony really likes impossible. That's been a real thread throughout his his career so are people going to see the video they will they will they will okay so apologies for for for, for the hotel room but like this is tax oh you got it in the beautiful i was gonna ask that is wow so i was uh setting one up how, how do they attach together how do they actually stack do they, do, is it is it mag oh 
this is your like the first screen and then you follow the instructions and then the way that they attach together is like so wow wow my my sons had these magnetic like building blocks and it's so uh satisfying to work with those wow like that that's extraordinary this is exactly how tony designed this like i remember him telling me like he was playing with those those magnetic blocks like your son it's like that's cool, and you know, uh, it, there are things in in the design of consumer electronics sometimes that is not even usability. It's like you know, the, the little gimmicks, like you want to stack them together, etc. And then it, tactile, yeah. yeah. And mm. then it becomes a feature, of course, because you know, then you can have like you can you can label them differently, and uh, then it's, it becomes an interesting feature. But also, but but there is, you know, I don't know if you gamble sometimes. You go to casino. There is that same thing that you do with your chips. Those chips, yeah. the heavy chips, and like just very well well done yes there's something super satisfying about that so that maybe. stacks and it and it's and it's here so you see like we have like we have working prototypes now and everything so we are really like at the gate of releasing the product and we've announced recently that it has been like uh it's a great success already like we had to stop pre-sales because we already sold so many of these um and we don't want to be deceptive when we go to market like as in you pre-sell too much and then you can't keep up with production mm -hmm. so we had to uh, we had to stop and, you know, compared to any other product that Ledger has launched in the past, this is, you know, between, you know, three and this is between three and eight, eight X better, like in terms of velocity, number of products sold, pre-orders, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a real success already. Yeah. And let's, let, let's, let's peel that back about this overnight success after more than a decade of, you know, chipping away at this pin and chip technology. Let's let's talk about the 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 most uh, obvious uh, elephant in the room is FTX and how you know not your not your keys not your cheese and how that's really uh, hyper accelerated at least in my view um, what's what's happened in your space can you can you talk a little bit about about that or at least all of twenty two last year how that um, gave you guys a boost. Yeah, so it was definitely a moment uh, for crypto in general, and for and for Ledger in particular. Uh, but there have been moments like this in the past. Like you know, we have a tendency to forget very quickly. But but crypto was built. Bitcoin, the white paper was published um, after the collapse of Lehman Brothers, and this is sort of what triggered sort of Bitcoin and you know this this adventure of decentralization and don't trust. Uh, central centralized systems etc cetera, etc cetera, because nobody's too big to fail and you know we, we we learned it the the hard way in 2008 and you know people have a tendency to forget they're like oh well you know let's trust ftx i'm like why would you trust ftx if lemon brother can fail like why why trust ftx it's the same problem all over again and, and before ftx it was mongox etc etc and so the story of bitcoin sort of paved the the the, the way to, to success is is, is paved by so those the deaths of those central authorities uh, that are bound to fail, and and some more than others, like you know FTX was probably much more fragile than was more, much more fragile than the Lehman Brothers, etc. So if Lehman Brothers can fail, you know FTX obviously, um, and decentralization and Bitcoin was actually built for that purpose. Like you don't need to trust a central authority, you don't need the middleman. You can actually uh, exchange value peer to peer. It's a cash electronic peer-to-peer -peer system right um and so 
we at Ledger have been advocating for this from the beginning. Actually, we were built on these principles. Like, not that we invented anything, but we're like, sure, decentralization, private keys. You need to own your Bitcoin. You can't trust a central authority. And so, if you own your Bitcoin, you need security, endpoint security. And what's best than the chip and pin technology to protect secrets? I mean, really, that's the <laughs> that's the only thing. Sometimes people say, "Oh my God, like you had a great idea." Like your ideas are very cheap. Like you know, this is the idea. The execution is very difficult. Like, how do you go from that idea to building a business? That's that's a different story. Uh, but but the idea is simple. And you, we've been saying the same thing from the beginning. Actually, if you think about the space, like true decentralization, real decentralized companies, you 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 don't have many. And I do still see, you know, CZ the other day say, I'm gonna call bullshit when I see it now. It was after the uh, FTX, uh, in the aftermath of FTX, and you know, sort of calling bullshit on. Most exchanges that still promote decentralizations, and you know, they use the the lingo of of Bitcoin and crypto to promote central, yeah. yeah, to promote central services like you know financial freedom. I, I don't see any financial freedom in you know keeping your Bitcoin on, on on Binance, for example. Like you know, I don't think that's financial freedom. That just you know, Binance is just acting as a bank, and you shouldn't do that for 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 that matter. Uh, you should definitely use Binance as a great service to. You know, uh, enter the market or swap your coins, etc. For sure, certainly, yeah. But as soon as you're done, then 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 you should withdraw everything and, and bring them to the safety of have it in your control, indeed. Have it in your control for sure. So, and so the market hasn't changed. Like it's just like people sometimes you know forget and then they remember. And the the difficult thing here is like people are reminded the hard way, which is which is always sad because a lot of people have actually lost. You know, a lot of money that was important to them, uh, but um, and this and this is why I think we're we we're putting a a lot of uh, emphasis on education at Ledger, uh, and actually with the sandbox with one of uh, Animoca's uh, brands, we uh, we've built an experience in the sandbox uh, uh, around education. It actually was one of the most popular, if not the most popular, program in the sandbox for a while. Still is, I think. Uh, which shows that people are hungry for education. Like, you know, they need to know. And it's a shift. Like, you know, you don't go from web two to web three without doing like a little work. Like people say, oh, I don't understand. It's okay, educate yourself. Like, you know, actually do your research, read. Uh, and there's a lot of content. Ledger has done a lot. Binance has done a lot. Coinbase has done a lot. You guys are doing a lot. You know, there are a bunch of companies that are building this educational content. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I think you know it's it's everyone's duty to do their due diligence, and you know not your keys, not your coins. Like that's uh, mantra now. Yeah, indeed, and I think that education is super important to take people to Web, you know, two point four and then two point six, and then on their way to uh, Web three. For sure. Let's uh, educate our listeners about the origin story, bitten by a radioactive uh, French uh, security spider back, you know, over ten years ago. Like why, like why, I, I know why, and there's a lot of great reasons why, but why um, should this have come out of Paris? Like why was it almost inevitable with like hardware and security and the sort of uh, DNA there? Like, I think it's a pretty fascinating backstory. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason why, you know, so when, when you build a company, you need to, so the founding team at Ledger and I, you know, with the same level of ambition at the beginning, we're thinking the same. It's like, you know, what, you know, what can we do that is outside of Web2 because Web2 is controlled by, you know, Google, Amazon, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So 
these are new protocols coming. So we thought, okay, the next big companies would be built on these new protocols. Um, and you know, what are the flows, etc. And so security, endpoint security is one of the flow of you know everything crypto. I mean, private keys is the flow. People say blockchain is secure. Yes, the blockchain is secure, uh, but in and out of the blockchain, the endpoint security is the big problem, uh, is the big security issue still. So you should really, you know, when you sign a transaction, you should really be careful for, you know, whether uh, you clear sign or not, and, you know, whether uh, you sign it uh, with a trusted device, like, you know, with a device that actually is protecting your private keys. Like you should not use a software wallet on your phone or your computer, for example. Software wallet only is actually uh, really um, poor in terms of security. If you pair your software wallet with with a hardware wallet, then then it's good. Okay, and so when you build a company, you're thinking, okay, what's the what's the what's the playing field? And you're thinking, okay, new protocols, okay, Bitcoin, okay, worldwide, that's great. And then you start to think, okay, where am I? So I'm in Paris, and then you start to think, okay, well, what are the what is the edge uh, when you're in Paris? Which what was interesting with crypto and Bitcoin is that suddenly, whether you were in Paris, Romania. The U.S. anywhere in the world actually didn't change anything in the sense that you had access to a global market right away, uh, and so then you have to think, you know, what's what's good in France? Actually, France, you know, even outside of Ledger, is very rich when it comes to to crypto. It is probably the the most vibrant uh, scene in Europe, before London, before Germany, etc. Which is uh, upside down. Like usually, it's UK first, Germany second, France third in Europe when it comes to innovation and tech, uh, but France. But but when it comes to crypto, it is France first, and then everybody else. Uh, and when it comes to tech now, France has been uh, uh, you know actually growing uh, pretty aggressively in the past few years. So it's not just crypto; it's also the rest of tech. But crypto, really, France is uh, the tip of the sword in Europe uh, at the moment. And the reason is, I think, is because France has the kind of talents that are very necessary in crypto. Um, Paris and France in general is a great financial hub and has a lot of people in finance that went sort of everywhere in the world. I mean, you know, go to London, half of the population is French. And, you know, if you were going banks or trading desks, et cetera, you know, most of the guys are French because we have very good schools for this, mathematicians, et cetera. Cryptography is actually really big in France. And when it comes to hardware security, I mean, we invented the chip and pin technology, so it was very natural. Yeah, t- t- tell us a little bit more about what 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 chip and chip and pins, you know, that under underlying really solid foundation. Like, what what, what does that actually really mean? Yeah, I mean, it was a French invention in the '80s, and secure hardware is basically, you know, uh, European, more European. Like, you know, the the US were always more on sort of software, and the Europeans have developed this. Um, secure hardware technologies. Uh, you have the French, Israelis, Chinese, Russians, like, you know, this is the world of secure hardware is actually quite niche and quite small. And the, and the French always had like, you know, big companies like ST Microelectronics, Thales, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we're really good. And, and we invented this, this, you know, sort of chip and pin technology that first was promoted on uh, uh, phone cards, like, you know, where you we still had phones in the street and you could, uh, and then credit cards and, and basically chip and pin technology has always been designing to protect cryptographic secrets. Um, but before it was to protect the secrets of your bank or your telco operator, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so we adapted this technology to protect your secrets. Um, but it's, it's very funny because the chip and pin technology, when you look at a chip, with a microscope and, you know, you look deep down, it looks like a little city. Uh, so it is really a hardware security. 
So it's really hardware that sort of protects uh, the, the cryptographic secret that is inside the chip. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. I was listening to Tony Fidel, how he said that there's a hacking vector. There's so many different ways. Like in the beginning, you didn't want to use some other type of touchscreen because there's a way to sort of hack hack through the screen or to see the memory of it. And there's just, there's a lot of things that people haven't thought of yet, but this chip and pin technology has been broken and fixed. And, you know, all the edges and burrs have been taken off it over decades and billions and maybe trillions of transactions. And then to be able to build on that, I think the the two takeaways there is that there's a lot of ways for tech ecosystems to grow around the world now, especially post COVID and doesn't have to be Silicon Valley. And also there's, really reliable technologies that can be built upon and you don't have to reinvent the wheel and it makes your solution so much more secure and it just makes it a lot more, you know, attractive for somebody like me who, you know, I has have a lot of fear. You see a lot of high, high profile people get, get rugged and lose their NFTs just sort of, you know, uh, from, from one click and, uh, you know, that's, that's something that's going to become more and more and more important. And, uh, it's, uh, it's something that I'm, I'm on the waiting list for stack. So I'm, I'm very excited for, you know, the, the security, but also like the, the, the elegance of it. I think that's, what's missing is that kind of like delightful experience. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you make a great point about, you know, the chip and pin technology and the fact that it's been out there for so long. And so when, when it comes to security, you, you never really want the new shiny stuff. Like you want the old stuff that's been battle tested, that's been out there for years and years and years and hasn't been broken. Like this is the best sort of security. Um, and, you know, just, you know, the chip and pin tech that has been powering like credit cards for uh, tens of years now. Um, we have 6 million devices out in the wild. And so they've never been hacked. Um, wow. So wow. also that's something, but, 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 but people have a tendency now to think, okay, but it's a, you know, it's a standing steel technology. Actually, what most people don't realize it, it's not like, you know, under the hood of that um, chip, you have a lot of work that is still going on where, you know, defense and offense are always uh, playing at the same time. And, you know, you need to continue on playing defense. So typically at Ledger, we have this attack lab called the dungeon and their job, we have like 15 hackers uh, internally, some of the best in the world. Actually, we have the best attack lab, in, attack lab in the world when it comes to these issues. And their job is to you know, break our own defenses before anyone else does. And they do research sort of on a daily basis on the same products, meaning that there is always like a new way of attacking the product. And so you continuously need to build defenses sort of uh, back up, I would say because there is a new, suddenly like you find that there is a new attack vector. So it's not a, it's not like you, you build a product, you ship it in the market, and then you're good for five years. It's like, it's a constant, constant uphill battle to fight uh, the uh, attackers. And so there is a lot of R and D that goes into, and so what we've done is not just to take an old technology and just, you know, voila, we use it and it works. It's just, we adapted it uh, to this new problem of securing like, you know, uh, users, private keys, and we're upgrading it constantly. Uh, and something that is happening in the background that our users don't see. I mean, they see it, obviously you see it because you need to upgrade your firmware from time to time, et cetera. And you know, it's usually because we add new features, but also sometimes because we, we add also new security features just to make it more 
resilient, uh, more secure uh, all the time. Resilient and anti-fragile. Yeah. So, wow. There's, I mean, that's, I was listening also to Tony and he said, you know, he sold his company to Google and he, of course, um, was at uh, Apple and he said the security level is, you know, in orders of magnitude bigger uh, where where you are. But I think the the real takeaway there is that I, I was in China for 25 years and Tencent had a messenger. Uh, it was their core product and they created three teams internally uh, to battle against each other and make a messenger for the smartphone. And that turned into WeChat. And then WeChat ended up adding hundreds of billions of dollars to their market cap because they were like, we're going to get disrupted. Screw it. Let's disrupt ourselves. Let's let's attack ourselves and make ourselves stronger in that way. And also as a, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, you need to do the same thing to yourself. You need to, you know, challenge yourself, fire yourself, you know, attack yourself, you know, and, and find your weaknesses and find ways to compensate for that. So I think that's a, that's an incredible uh, moat and competitive advantage and um, gives me even more uh, comfort. And I can't wait to cuddle my stacks when they, when they come in later. So let, let's talk about Tony and also Ian Rogers. You have a couple of like super world-class high profile people that you've pulled onto your team. I mean, I just, I just love to hear a little bit about, about that story. I mean, I'm such big fans of all three of you guys and, you know, e any one company would be happy to have one of you, but all three. Wow. Well, that's very kind. Uh, well, look, we, it's a, it's a very simple story. It's uh, you know, it starts with friendship. Um, Ian moved to Paris. What seems to be like yesterday, but I think it was seven years ago now. And uh, he's, he was an ex Yahoo. He, and I used to work at Yahoo as well. And so a common friend of ours, a guy called Toby Koppel, who is uh, now a VC in London, is a fund called Mosaic Ventures, who used to be chief strategist officer at Yahoo way back when, when, when Yahoo was, was really big. Um, you know, Toby tells me, hey, you're in Paris. Ian is in Paris. You guys should meet. And Ian just arrived. And honestly, we met at a party that he was throwing for LVMH. And Ian is a super guy, like, you know, he's the, one of the coolest guy on the planet. And so I met with Ian, I'm like... He was with the Beastie Boys before, and then he gets hired by LVMH and Yahoo. I mean, he's like a renaissance man. Very much so. And so I met with Ian, I was like, man, you're cool. And, you know, I'd like to be your friend. Honestly, it was just like, you know, two kids meeting each other. And he was like, oh, you're cool too. I'd like to be your friends too. And we became friends. That's uh, how it works. And, yeah. And... Uh, and, you know, we, uh, we just became friends and then we did like, you know, a few, few things together, but one thing leading to another, like, you know, as friends, you, you talk and you talk about like, you know, what you see in life that is great, et cetera. And we, we both like, uh, tech guys, like we, we like tech, we like, you know, we, we like this game, like, you know, for us, it's a game. Like it doesn't feel for me, working doesn't really feel like working. It is a game. It should feel like a game. It's the most, it's the ultimate game. Absolutely. It's a great game. And so, and Ian plays the same game, et cetera. So we talk, we're like, oh, this is what's happening, et cetera. We talk about crypto <clears throat> and sort of one thing leading to another. I'm like, okay, well, you're not going to stay all your life at LVMH. At the time, he was uh, chief uh, digital officer at LVMH. And I said to him, look, you know, at Ledger, this is what we do. And, you know, at some point I say, okay, your dream job is it's going to be Ledger because it has everything that you like. It has tech, it has culture, it has everything. And so we build a plan with, with Ian and I, I managed to, to convince him in the end and, and and we build a plan that we both liked and where you know ian would have a great impact and by the way ian joined like beginning of 21 and you know the shift that you've seen at ledger and and many things where people are like oh wow ledger has changed that's ian like you know that's ian his team and the people that he brought with him and 
and that includes Tony. And so uh, before joining, so Ian was also friend in to with Tony, uh, who was in Paris also at the same time. And uh, and Ian says to Tony, okay, I'm going to join Ledger. And Tony says, wait, I'm going to do the due diligence. And <laughs> if I don't like it, you're not going or something like that. And so, so Tony did the due diligence and we met. I knew Tony from before, but he always sort of passed on Ledger. And But this time I was, you know, I, I pitched him like what we were doing and where we were going, et cetera. And I could see in his eyes that there was a, suddenly like a light that went on. And, uh, and, very, and, and I remember this meeting and, and Tony said, oh, I'm going to be the, the chief designer for this. Um, and, uh, and I said, oh, will you? <laughs> and then he took it back a little bit because he was like, because he got carried away. Uh, but, but then Tony really liked it. And so, and so they, they joined together. And I told Tony, like, you know, you should join as well, because what's going to happen is Ian will talk to you about Ledger every weekend. <laughs> and he will tell him everything you know. And so you might as well get paid for it, you know. And so, uh, so they decided to do it. And where I was very surprised, I was very surprised by two things. Uh, I thought Ian would have an impact, but not as profound as he has had. Like, so, you know, sometimes... When you when you hire someone, you have very high hopes, you have medium hopes, and you have you know low, you know the low stuff. And you know Ian is all the way up there, and so I knew he was going to have an impact, but the impact is very profound. And with Tony, I thought he would join and give us like you know a few tips, like you know a bit of a, a bit of an advice here. No, 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 no. like he, like he, he he's working, like you know he really did stacks. That's that's his. And for those of you out there that don't know, I mean Tony. Uh, designed the iPod and the iPhone and Nest and is an incredible investor with over 200 investments. He's got other stuff going on. And in his book, which I read, which I love, he talks about ideas chase you. And he's like, you got to run like hell away from those ideas because there's too many ideas. And he said, Ledger tackled him on the field. He couldn't run, he couldn't run away fast enough. Ledger grabbed him by the ankles and knocked him down and he had no choice. Um, but you know what, I, I, you know, I know that Ledger is an amazing company and he did his DD, but as a CEO, like as a founder, like what you have, like there's kind of three rough things I tell people sometimes you're, you're, you're a founder, you're driving a bus. All right, we're going in this direction. It's foggy, it's dark, but we're going that direction. Okay. I got to make sure that I fill it up with, with petrol. That's either like revenues or funding, but then I got to get people on the bus all the time. Got to get good people. And like, that's that's a really key thing. Like that can change a company when they're in the growth stage in it's such everything. a profound way. And like, that's where all of your skills, experience network and your EQ, IQ, like they're, they're not joining if they're, you know, if you're not able to inspire them as well too. So that's, that's like, that's a, a an absolute game changer. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. I know you have amazing other employees as well too. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody else in, ledger to just single out those two guys, but they're just two guys that I am aware of. I've never met, but, uh, um, like extraordinary. No, but you know what? That's okay. I mean, you know, we have a great team and, you know, I can give you so many examples at ledger where it's not always like, uh, it's not always the end that he's saving the day, but it's like, you know, those guys at Vierzon who are going to go above and beyond, et cetera. So, it's really a team, and at Ledger we do so many things that you need to have a great team, uh, you know, at, at every level. And so, uh, you know, I'm very, you know, humbled and you know, thankful to to my team because in the end, like, I try to do as little as possible and, and hire great people. So, but 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 you you smile about that, and then we even uh, you know chatted before the show. You're like, oh, you should talk to this employee. I empower 
her to do this and she just does it right. And like, that's a, that's a superpower to be able to just have people on your team and to be able to, you know, uh, just guide them. And I think oftentimes um, people don't want to let go and they end up doing too much and then they're in the business and they can't be on the business and then it just can't scale. Yeah, for sure. No, I think you're right. But I smile because, you know, I, I always say it as a joke, like, you know, I try to do as little as possible hiring great people. But, you know, Napoleon says that great leaders define reality and give hope. Oh, can you repeat that again? I, I love it. And, and plus, and can you also say Napoleon again in front with a French accent? It sounds amazing. It makes it even better. <laughs> Napole Napoleon, <laughs> leaders define reality and give hope. Mm, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And that, that has a connection to that whole bus thing in a way is that like, this is the direction we're going in. And then I'm just going to, you know, inspire you guys just get by getting greater people on board and getting resources and giving you the right culture, then, you know, yeah, people want hope. People want to play this sport. It's a game, right? People want to be on a team and be like, we can win the championship. We can do it. And it's got to be like, rah, rah, rah. Like I've always been like super excited. Like I'm, like I'm a, like I'm in a, in a, in a, in a game or I'm in the stands, right? Because that's what startups are. You have to believe that it's a, a fun game, but also a brutal competitive and, you know, so many times you're just low energy and you have to, you have to sort of suspend belief, like, you know, the Ted Lasso TV show, if you ever watch that, right. Just believe. Right. So, and I, and like, obviously you made Ian Rogers and Tony Fidel belief and like that's, but, 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 that's, that's your job. Really, that's, that's really the difficult part. And actually I asked, asked Ian to join to, to help me define that reality and give hope because, you know, I was the only one in the company at the time thinking, you know, big the way that I was thinking. And also, you know, remember that I went through Yahoo and these kind of schools and, you know, Yahoo, I was at Yahoo in between 2004 and 2007. So it's really when Yahoo was big and I was, I was really exposed to greatness and, you know, people time, that yeah. were, yeah, good times. And people that were really thinking above and beyond and, you know, they were thinking about internet, the world. And so when you're exposed to this, then you have a tendency to, you want to do the same. Like you don't want to go back into building a small business. You want to build big businesses. Um, but it's very difficult to, you know, to be a great leader, define reality, give hope. Like it seems simple. It's very hard to do uh, because a lot, a lot of people, when they haven't been through one experience, they, they sometimes they don't really understand what you're talking about. And so, when I say when I when we do anything at Ledger, I say okay, but well, we do this to you know to 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 lead, not to not to follow. But a lot of people don't have that kind of mentality, and so when I asked Ian to join, it was also to help me sort of define that reality and you know and give it like build the narrative around the company, which which uh, Ian did perfectly. Uh, and so that was very important because Ian had the same level of ambition as I did and knew it was possible. And so at least I could have a discussion with him. Then we can form a narrative and then we could uh, present it to the rest of the team. And the team will go, aha, there is actually a good moment where Ian joined. There's one guy in the company called Remy. I'm calling it out right now. Shout out to Remy. And shout out to Remy. And uh, I told Remy like one thing like 10 times. And every time like I could see that he didn't get it, he didn't want it. Like, you know, there was something that was wrong in the way I was saying it to him. Ian joined. He says the same thing I was saying 10 times. He said it one time. And then Remy does it. And I go to Remy and I say, okay, I told you the same thing 10 times. Like, why? And, and, and Ian, one time and you do it. Why? He looks at me and he's like, Ian just said it better. <laughs> that's beautiful. But that's a another beautiful lesson is that there's really no bad employees. Not that you're a bad employee, Remy, right? Um, and 
it's basically, it all comes down to you, right? You have to communicate it, right? You have to, you, it, it, it all, it's like, that, that's what it really comes down to. And the, the fact is, and if you- way, Remy is great. Remy is, Remy is great. He's is, 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 is amazing. But it's just like, Ian's got his way to presenting. Ian is a real storyteller. And, you know, I needed like Ian to, to tell a better story, I guess. Uh, and it comes down to, you know, your problems in your life are always, you know, sort of your problem. It always comes down to you. You can try to blame other people like the employee, et cetera. But the truth is, if people don't understand what you're saying, it's because you're saying it wrong. It's not because they um, they, they don't hear it right. Sure. And I think you're a really good storyteller, but I think Ian is like a world-class, like amazing storyteller. And like that's that kind of story and narrative inside the company with partners to your, to your users, like that's, that's what gets you to the next level. And I think uh, that whole idea of really narrative and story, that's something it, feels kind of maybe even not professional and a little bit informal and loose, but it's really one of your most powerful tools. And you really, and you guys do it so well because, you know, hardware wallets are not sexy. If you say that out loud, it feels like I should, you know, I, I, I picture a website that's just the most unsexy, you know, website in the world. And then I go to your, your site and see your products and I'm like, oh, wow. That, it's a really personal story because it's really, it's really all about the, all the user's assets, all of your assets, like everything you own could potentially be on that in the future. Yeah, hundred percent. And by the way, we don't call them hardware wallets anymore. We just call them ledgers. Of course. Of course. That's, that, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Indeed. Indeed. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, tell that story myself too. So speaking of stories, tell us a little bit about your story you know, like your journey along the way, and then some lessons that you, that you learned that you could maybe impart to some other founders, some things that you really kind of maybe wish you knew uh, earlier on in your journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a uh, maybe classic. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Parisian. Um, I'm a university dropout. Uh, I was lucky that I dropped out around 2000 where the internet was booming in Paris. And I was lucky enough to to be hired by this young startup called Do You, and I really started at the at the bottom of the, and you know sort of learn everything from there, and you know, and I was you know, again lucky to to do successfully you know a few great companies and uh, Kelku at the time who sold for 500 million uh, to Yahoo in 2004, like these are the old days, but Kelku was uh, like a shopping.com. Uh, and it was at the time where the shopping battle was happening, you know, Google shopping, Yahoo shopping, all these guys. And joined Yahoo in 2004, which was really my luck because, again, Yahoo was a public company. It was, it was a great company, great people. Um, and then I left uh, at the end of 2007 and joined a small company at the time called Criteo in France. And we invented basically personalized retargeting. Wow. Not, not, not a small company now. <laughs> No, it's a great company still. It's a it's a two billion dollar market cap. I think it's listed at the Nasdaq. We took it public in 2013. Uh, to date, it's the only French company, uh, French tech company that went public at the at the Nasdaq or in the U.S. in the past. I don't know 20, 20 years. I think, yeah, uh, great company. I think still like three thousand people working there, like a few billions of dollars of revenue, etc. You know, global execution. Mm -hmm. We went from Paris to Asia, to the US, to everywhere. When people at the time were telling us it's impossible, uh, or it's impossible, like no French company can succeed in the US. 
And, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, watch me. Yes. <laughs> because why not? Like, and also, of course, like, you know, if you go, if you're, if you're, if you're in the French tech business, you want to go to the US, like you have to have an edge. And so you ask like, what is the advice? There, there are a few, but really when you build a business, it's three things, ambition, resilience, perfect execution. These are the three things. And when you think about your ambition, you need to think about, okay, what's my edge? And we were talking about like uh, uh, hardware, uh, secure hardware. So when you're in France, that's an edge because you know you have the best engineers in the world to do this. Like what is your edge when you're trying to build your business and what is your ambition? Uh, and really, you know, with Critio, it was that like, you know, we knew that we had something that was special and that was the possibility to take it in the US. Because it's so competitive that if you don't have anything special, or if you think you're going to beat U.S. companies on their own turf with the same product, then forget about it. Like that's never going to work. If you have an edge, and if you have something that nobody else has, then you can do it. Fantastic, love it. What a amazing journey. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And the, and the triptych is ambition, resilience, perfect execution. Ambition is which is actually funny because I was an investor for a few years and I was, I would always ask the question to, and we have an investment fund at Ledger. Now we have a hundred million dollar investment fund uh, for companies. And I always ask the same question. What's your ambition? Most of the time, like nine out of 10 people come out sort of dry. They're like, well, I don't know. I just want to build a great company. Okay. But that's not really an ambition. Is your ambition to build the next Google? Is your ambition to, build a nice business that you're going to flip, like, you know, what, what is your ambition? You know, define your ambition is actually, uh, it's a simple question or, and then for me, it's just like the alpha and omega of everything that I do. When we build Ledger to get someone like Ian, you know, define reality, give hope. Like I need to have an ambition that matches Ian. Like if our ambitions are not matching, if I tell Ian, Hey, why don't you come and we're going to do this little cute company in France. He's going to look at me and he say, Hey, let's, let's just, let's just have a few drinks and, and not talk business anymore. Like you need to align on ambition and, um, and it's not, uh, and it's not a bad word. It doesn't mean greed. It means, you know, what is your, uh, what is the scale? What are you, are you reaching for the stars? Are you trying to build a small business? And by the way, there's no bad answer too. If you want to build a sure. small business, that's great. You know, I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and good for you, like you know, but 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 you need to be clear because you need to frame it the right way, yeah. Yeah, because then everything else comes from this. If your ambitions are extremely high, then your resilience needs to be very strong because then you know that nobody's going to help you build this. Like you know, people will you know uh, compete with you, and you know, and the markets are difficult, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So resilience is everything, and then the uh, what we call the perfect execution. Of course, depending on your ambition, execution is very different. If you have very, very high ambitions, like I did, then you have to hire Ian Rogers. You need to have Tony Fadell. I mean, it's not a, you know, this is what you need to do. It is not like nice to have, like it's like, it's a must have depending on the level of ambition. If you're going to compete with Apple, you need Tony Fadell, end of the story, or you need someone like him. Uh, if you don't have him, then you're not doing the right thing when it comes to uh, execution on your ambition. Wow, fantastic triptych of uh, ambition and resilience and uh, execution indeed. And I think, yeah, and also people should know that if they are talking to a VC, then they really should have high ambitions. Uh, it's not, you don't talk to a VC about a lifestyle business. It's okay to have a lifestyle business, but uh, yeah, you should be aiming high because if you're not, you know, if you're going to start a business, whether it's a mom and pop shop on the on the store, on the, on the, on the corner, or, you know, a startup, you're, you only have probably 
60 to 80 hours a week, 100 hours maybe to put into it. And might as well, you're going to be working hard in both. You might as well aim as high as you can. And obviously, like every time you you raise the bar uh, each time. And uh, that's uh, hugely, uh, hugely appealing. You, you're, you're just like back in the game again. You're back in the arena, kind of in the same way that I guess Steven Spielberg would be making, making a new movie. You just want to, you just want to create and, uh, and make impact and build and, and you're, you're, you're doing it. And, uh, it's fantastic. And you know, that ambition is part of defining that reality. Like, you know, what is, when you pitch a VC, it's like, okay, because sometimes I see things where the ambitions are just crazy, but they're not backed by anything. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to build it. I remember, and no offense to backed, uh, but in the space, I remember seeing uh, the, the paper that sort of back published before their before their spec, and uh, it was just a chart where basically in three years they were going to outgrow uh, Coinbase, etc. But it was not there was no reality behind it. So I thought, okay, well that's a great ambition, but like it's not, you know, there is there was no sort of master plan on how to do it, etc. And maybe I didn't see. The full documentation and by the way you know they didn't do what they said that they would do but um, uh, so it's, it's very difficult to to have you know great ambitions and to define that reality etc it, it is a very difficult exercise it is not something that you can nail uh, necessarily day one like you know you need to have a certain set of ambition day one etc but then you need to you know keep working on it and and under that umbrella of ambition you have the why of your company you have the sort of where you want to go, how big you want to be. Like you have all of these things that you continuously need to work on. And, you know, and because it changes, like, you know, you need to, uh, it should change always for the best, I guess, like, you know, but, uh, or sometimes, you know, you have a reality check and you change for something sort of uh, slightly less ambitious or different because you hit a roadblock and you're thinking, actually, I cannot do what I thought I would do. And so now it's a, it's a different path, but. Yeah, certainly, but you've aimed higher, so you're still ending up higher than Correct. you would have landed anyway. Correct. So that's great. Excellent. Uh, Pascal Gautier, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. That was excellent. I am, it's almost like it's, the game is just starting and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the coming uh, decade with Ledger. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.